Welcome to the Beargrass Christian Church Podcast. My name is Dee Decker, and I am the Communications Director here at Beargrass. Welcome to the season of Lent. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Lent? Many of us think about giving something up, like chocolate or an unhealthy habit. Some folks decide to take something on. Maybe a daily devotional time, a study, a renewed commitment to prayer, or a new outreach effort. Lent, which comes from the Germanic word for springtime, can be viewed as a spiritual spring cleaning, a time for taking spiritual inventory and then cleaning out those things which hinder a deeper connection to God's grace and mercy. When we look at our lives through the lens of Lent, it gives us an opportunity for introspection and self-reflection. With that in mind, Dr. Bond shares a four-part sermon series titled The Lens of Lent over our Lenten season. This week, the sermon focuses on oversight and the story of Nicodemus found in John 3, 1 through 9. Here now is Dr. Lee Bond. Thank you, Rob, for reading and singing, and uh, to the whole choir for sharing your gifts. Uh, We are blessed with very committed and uh, talented uh, musicians and vocalists here at Beargrass. And again, good morning. Boy, what a beautiful day, sunny, sunshine, 60s, winter. (laughs) Crazy. Anyway, glad you're here as we begin uh, a new season together. The uh, theme for uh, the season of Lent is called The Lens of Lent, and uh, I ask you this morning, what comes to your mind when you hear that word, Lent? I think first thing that comes to a lot of our minds is this is a time to give something up we really enjoy and don't want to, uh, like an unhealthy habit or whatever. Uh, I heard about one man who was overweight and wanted to lose some of it for Lent, and he went to his doctor, and she said, I'm going to put you on a diet. Uh, she said, I want you to eat regularly for two days and then skip the third. And I, I think if you come back in a month, you'll have lost, you know, probably five to 10 pounds. So month passed and uh, he came back in and he shocked. I mean, he shocked the doctor. He had lost nearly 60 pounds. And she said, this, this is amazing. I've never had results like this before. Did you follow my instructions? And he said, yes, but I thought I was going to die on that third day, doc. She said, do you mean from the hunger? And he said, no, uh, from the skipping. (laughs) Some of you will get that in about 10 minutes or so. (laughs) So if you hear a little chuckle here and there, you'll know. You'll know what what happened. Anyway, Lent can be a time to to let go and uh, embrace better things. But I also have always affirmed that Lent is a time to take something on uh, for God. Uh, It could be daily devotional time. It could be uh, a study. It could be renewed commitment to to daily prayer. It can be a new uh, outreach effort or mission opportunity. Uh, For instance, on Saturday night, Gerald Box challenged the Saturday Saints to embrace this spiritual discipline, and that is just to invite someone to come to church, right? How hard is that? He even had six business cards and little packets for him to give away. And he said, give one away every week during the season of Lent. Invite people to come enjoy what we're enjoying in, in the presence and beauty of God. So that's a good one for you as well. 
Uh, when we look at our lives through this lens of Lent, uh, we're given the opportunity, I think, for some introspection and self-reflection that hopefully will lead us closer to God and uh, move us outward in service. And with that in mind, uh, I will share a, a four-part sermon series. Today is oversight, and then we'll go to insight, then hindsight, and finally foresight. But uh, I'd like to take a look at today's story more closely. How many of you have ever had trouble sleeping at night? Uh, that's a pretty big small group. Um, what's been the reason? Maybe something's been on your mind. Perhaps you're thinking about a problem at work or school or in a relationship. Maybe you started a new project and the creative juices started flowing and you just couldn't turn your, your brain off. You know, uh, I would guess most of us have had nights like that. I wonder if Nicodemus was having one of those nights. Uh, why does he come out in the darkness to see Jesus? You know, something about Jesus has, has rattled his cage. And, and, and so Nick is motivated to seek Jesus out privately, personally, uh, for this amazing conversation. And that in itself is shocking. I mean, Nick, Nick is a respected religious leader, a, you know, a high-ranking Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, probably very wealthy. Nick seems to have it made, power, prestige, respect, abilities, wealth, high social standing, religious authority. What a resume, right? But something's not right. Something is missing. And so he is genuinely searching. There's no antagonism in this conversation. In fact, Jesus recognizes, uh, Nick recognizes Jesus as a teacher from God. He says, no one can do what you do without God. And so there's a, really kind of an affirmation of faith here from Nick, a profession of faith. He, he's on a spiritual quest and this radical rabbi causes him to reevaluate everything he thought he knew about God. It reminds me of the way one little girl recited John 3.16, which comes later in this chapter. Uh, she made a very slight error when she spoke. Uh, she proclaimed, God so loved the world that God sent Jesus so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have internal life. Right? That works. For Nicodemus, that works. That translation's, you know, that's right on target because he's seeking that internal life, that eternal life Jesus talks about. So he comes to ask some very serious questions about God. But Nick doesn't get any straight answers to his questions, right? Jesus confounds him uh, after uh, Nick asks, how can these things be? Uh, Jesus says, well, the wind blows where it will, and you don't know where it comes from. It's the same with the Spirit. All right, that helps a lot. I mean, you must be born again, Nick, and you, you must be born from above. What are you talking about? Ah. So Nick is stuck in literal land, and, and, and Jesus is speaking of the realm of God. It's, it's like the word game some of us learned as children. We ask the question, what word is always pronounced wrong? And obviously the correct answer is wrong. Right? Yes? And every time Nick offers an answer, Jesus says, wrong. Right? Okay, so you know, they're on different wavelengths. 
A little girl was asked to write an essay on birth, and she went home and asked her mother, Mom, how was I born? And Mom blushed a little bit and said, Oh, darling, a, a stork, a stork left you on the doorstep. She went to Dad. Dad deflected the delicate question as well, and she, he said, Honey, you know, we, we found you out in the garden. Some fairies brought you to us. It was a very special time. And then she went to Grandma, and Grandma said, Oh, honey, I remember. We picked you from a gooseberry bush. With this information, the little girl wrote her essay, and later she read it to her class at school and said, There has not been a natural birth in our family for three generations. (laughs) Nick is thinking natural birth. Jesus describes spiritual birth, and the Greek word that causes the confusion for Nick is the word anathen. Anathen appears three times in this conversation, and anathen can mean from above, from the beginning, or again. And so Nick is confounded by the multiple meanings for the word. You know, Jesus is talking about invisible birth from above that creates a visibly changed life, but Nick cannot see it. And so our challenge today is to ask that same question. Can we see it? Are we able to see it? And we may really be able to identify with Nick if we're honest. Have you ever expressed and experienced a desire for quenching your spiritual hunger or thirst? Have have you had a longing for spiritual direction in your life? Have you tried to fill uh, the hole in your heart with other things that did not work? Are there dead parts within you that need to come alive, need to be resurrected? Someone wrote a letter to an advice columnist, and she said, you know, I I read your column all the time, but I never thought I'd write to you. But I'm stuck. I'm stuck, and I have a question that could surprise you. You know, I'm, I'm successful. I'm a successful professional on my way up. I'm doing so well, but I am miserable. With my hectic work hours, I feel I'm always running. I'm never enjoying anything. My personal life is a mess. I've been through a series of exploding relationships. None of them worked out. And she asked, do any of your readers express similar problems? And the columnist offered some insightful words. She said, most readers write to me to ask how to climb the ladders ladder of success, but there are a large number of achievers just like you. In fact, discontent across the nation is likely to grow in coming years. For instance, for many boomers, it's not okay. It's not okay. They top out in their careers, retire maybe, then look for something else to satisfy them in. One person expressed it this way, you know, about the time one learns to make the most of life, the most of life is gone. I think sometimes we live with the illusion that, you know, if we work hard enough and get enough money and power and prestige and status and education and stuff, then, then we'll be happy. You know, then we will have gained all that life has to offer. You know, life in the fast lane, whether it's in the religious world or secular world, is no guarantee that we will experience the new birth Jesus talks about. 
You know, we spend a lot of time, I think, trying to clarify our lives, trying to put them into some understandable pattern, trying to make sense of where we fit in the midst of it all. And we turn to the Bible or other spiritual disciplines to find help, and sometimes we do, but we don't always get this easy step-by-step formula or recipe. We don't get the step-by-step strategy that Nicodemus wanted. But Jesus gives us what? Jesus gives us a vision, a vision of what this kind of life can look like. Some of you have read Philip's classic, Your God is Too Small. I like to go back and read it every once in a while. But he says, you know, we can never have too big a conception of God. Amen? You can never have too big a conception of God. And the more scientific knowledge advances, the greater becomes our idea of God's vast and complicated wisdom. Nicodemus' God was too small. And I wonder if sometimes ours is the same. This uh, born-again topic has been coming up a lot at my home uh, lately. Uh, My wife, Ellen, is binge-watching the drama series from PBS called The Midwife. Are any of you watching? Got quite a few. Okay. It's adapted from memoirs of Jennifer Worth. The episodes offer a look at midwifery and family life in 1950s East End London. And newly uh, qualified midwife Jenny joins an eccentric, lovable convent community of nuns who are nurses, but also midwives. When Ellen described what she'd been watching, I thought to myself, didn't say it to her, I thought to myself, this is going to get old in a hurry. And for me, it did, because it was just a coincidence. But every time I happened to walk through the room when she was watching, guess what I heard? Some woman screaming, ah, right in the middle, you know, right in the middle of labor, right in the middle of delivery. Ah! And this happened like the first four or five times I walked through the room. And I thought, how, how can you do that? And then she's got to turn it up because, you know, the PBS shows the, the conversations mumbly and the music is real loud. So she's got it twice as loud. And I'm going, I can't take it anymore. You know, these babies are being born again and again and again and again. And in one show, there was like five coming at a time. And I thought, ah, I can't be. But. But she is stuck with it. And she said, "Hun, if you'll just sit down and watch it with me, I, th- I think you'll like it. And so uh, I, re- I, I said, yes, dear. Um, and, um, and then I started to watch some of the episodes. And now I'm, I'm hooked. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's really, really good. Because, I, you know, I started to get to know some of the characters and to hear some of the stories and, and get connected to the lead actresses and the people in the, in the series. And, and, and the stories are, are based on real stories and they're powerful and they're moving. And, and some of the people are, are born again. Marcus Borg says an interesting thing about all this. He says, being born again is the work of the Spirit. We can't make it happen either by a strong desire and determination or by learning and believing a set of beliefs. But we can be intentional about being born again. Though we can't make it happen, 
we can midwife the process. This is the purpose of spirituality, he says, to help birth the new self and nourish the new life. Spirituality is midwifery. And I wonder what that would look like if we lived our lives that way. Maybe we would have fewer preconceptions about what God can and cannot do. Maybe we'd be more open to surprises, to God's surprises. Perhaps we'd be more willing to let the Spirit of God blow where it chooses and let it roam beyond our knowledge and control. Maybe we would trust that being born again brings us into the unending, unfailing presence of God and eternal life that never ends. We're not sure about the rest of the story for Nicodemus, but it seems that the Spirit nudged him in the right direction. Nicodemus was changed by Jesus. Later on in John 7, he defends Jesus' right to be heard, stands up to his colleagues. Later on in John 19, he anoints and buries Jesus in the full light of day. And this word oversight, this word oversight also has multiple meanings. It can also mean supervision or management or control. And so I've I've got to believe that Nick overcame his initial oversights and turned his life over to the supervision and management and oversight of the Spirit. Something about Jesus motivated a skeptic on the sidelines to become a mourner of his death and a devoted disciple. One of our church members saw what was coming this weekend and emailed me what what is called a prayer of Nicodemus. I I invite you to take a deep breath, maybe close your eyes if that helps, and uh, listen to these words, listen to this prayer. See if the words resonate with you. Let us pray. O God of second chances, who is patient with our confusion and who leads us into greater understanding. When we become legalistic, teach us forgiveness. When we become concrete and closed in our thinking and stuck in religious ruts, lift us into the ways of your Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and souls willing to search. Grant that we may be born anew each day into hope, born anew into joy, born anew into your realm. God, may your grace and love become the context of our days. Amen and amen. We hope you are spending time this Lenten season reflecting on your relationship to Christ. With that in mind, we have crafted Lenten e-devotionals to be delivered directly to your email account. If you would like to receive these daily devotions, go to our website, www.beargrass.org, and sign up under e-news on the homepage. As always, we would love to see you around the table at one of our weekend worship services. 
Our Saturday service is casual and meets in the chapel at 5.30 p.m. The Beargrass Praise Team leads us in worship during our Sunday 9 a.m. contemporary service. And at our 11 a.m. traditional service, the Beargrass Choir sings. All of our services include communion that is open to everyone. Until next time, peace.